Hello, and welcome to The Home Building Hero, where we help you become the hero of your new home by providing you all the information that you need, no matter if you're building, buying, or designing your next home. We got you covered here at The Home Building Hero. Today, we are brought to you by the Pella Windows and Doors Studios of Wisconsin, and I am joined here today by a very special guest, Danusha, or Danushka Nanayakara from the National Association of Home Builders. And I'm sorry, I'm probably stumbling through your name there, Danishka. So. <laughs> That's perfectly all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so I appreciate you coming on here. And uh, first off, just tell me a little bit about your background, like who you are and kind of how you got involved with economics and the building uh, industry. Yeah, so I'm Danishkanana Kaya. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for inviting me to speak with you today. So I'm the Assistant Vice President for Forecasting and Analysis at NHB, and I joined NHB about three years ago as a senior economist. And after about one year, I got promoted to this position, so I lead the macro team um, at NHB. And before I joined NHB, I was with the National Auto Dealers Association. I was in the auto industry for about five and a half years. I was an economist um, in that space. And I think I was ready to kind of move on after a while. Um, and I've kind of stumbled upon the job at NHB. And I decided it sounds like a really cool experience to get into in the home. Uh, you know, housing is a big component of GDP. And I'm always being a nerd for economic related <laughs> um, any research. So I was really excited. And the role was mainly about doing forecasting um, at the state level and then doing more local level analysis. And it's been great three years um, in my role. I have, you know, job deeds have given me so much opportunity to go out and present at various events and meet so many builders across the state. So it's been a great um, experience so far. And, you know, I really enjoyed meeting builders from all and and, and the, the story is quite universal at the end of the day too you know uh and and also i've enjoyed traveling as well you know going sure. from like uh like you know seattle area to all the way to uh chicago and boston and although it's uh, probably a little harder this stuff. year right uh as yeah traveling. oh yeah so we are Exactly. So we are not doing any traveling. So it's all virtual right now. It's also an experience in itself. You know, I'm speaking to, you know, 100, 200 people, and I don't see any reaction from oh, an sure. audience. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. So that's a, it's, it's kind of hard as well. But, you know, we are all adapting, and it's such a unique uh, year. This year has been crazy, you know, for a lot of us, right? Our lives are kind of like turned upside down in a way. For yeah. a lot of people, so and you know we're all working from home and uh, and how's um, uh, yeah it's been how's it the you know obviously you said you were kind of involved with uh, automobile dealer automobile dealers uh, association and now you know you're doing home builders is is it similar um, I mean are you seeing some some parallels or is that uh, is it pretty different? Um, I would say it's a, it's different because on the auto dealers we really focus on you know it's on the consumer side. Like how many people are buying um, used vehicles and then how do you price them? Um, so, but 
I was more involved in also custom projects for like, let's say Hertz or Enterprise. They have a huge number of cars on their fleet and they would want to see what their fleet is value, what their entire fleet is valued in like six months time or 12 months time, because they turn the cars around pretty quick. After a year, they'll buy directly from the manufacturer after a year of keeping it in the rental market and they sell it in auction. Gotcha. And then we would get, you know, millions of auction data. Um, and then the cars goes into consumers. So it's a, it's kind of like, and I, funny thing you asked about that, like I've been reading that used car sales are actually quite high this year, which I didn't even think was going to happen. But it's because of the pandemic, people are working from home. So if you have been taking the train, people are like, ah, I don't really have to mind the commute anymore. If I have to go into the office only once or twice a week in the foreseeable future, I might as just go buy a car now, you know? Sure, yeah. <laughs> Which I didn't even think make the connection. So. Or, or yeah, I'm sure but, people who are selling off, maybe they got an extra vehicle and they're not driving as much. So, you know, either yeah, we, we kind of did exactly. that with our company. We had a few trucks and we're like, hey, we're going to, we had three and we traded a couple in and bought some new ones. And um, yeah. it kind of made sense, you know, I was like, okay, we do, we don't need all these extra vehicles and then we could kind of upgrade. So yeah, it's, uh, exactly. I'm sure it's different. And the home building industry, of course, is different because, you know, it, we don't have set models per se, you know, so you can't compare mm -hmm. the, you know, the Chevy Cavalier, you know, from years yeah. past or whatever. I mean, cause every builder has different houses and sizes and floor plans. So, um, you know, it's that the used housing market's just different that way where you can go by maybe square footage and, and ranch yeah. and two-story and things like that. Um, so let's just talk a little bit, because obviously I had uh, Bob Dietz on earlier in the year, right in the middle of the pandemic. And, you know, we had a lot mm -hmm. of, uh, of course, economic questions as that was happening. And then, you know, uh, we sort of had this picture of, you know, it seemed very bleak at the time. And it was like, well, this is yeah. kind of what it is. And um, a lot of people getting um, laid off and, and so on and so forth. And, and things have changed pretty drastically. So how, how, in your opinion, has COVID affected real estate and home building? And uh, what are some of your observations so far for 2020? Yeah, I mean, it's such a crazy year, right? The spring was like, we were like, what is happening? Because forecasting is, you know, looking at the data and then making a assumption what the rest of the year will look like. And the data in the spring was really bleak. It was almost depressing. So there was that point we were running forecasts. Yeah, like every week, because the data coming in was just, you know, it's the, the and also uh, the GDP data and most of the data, uh, it's analyzed um, uh, in the US. So it made it even, things look even worse. <laughs> Uh, for, you know, um, so, but then, you know, fast forward to the fall and the winter, I think in a way we have learned to live with the pandemic kind of, you know, I think the humans are very resilient and adaptable. And I think that was captured like, you know, by, if you look at the, just, you know, very broadly break down the GDP, other than the services, you know, the goods industry has come back. People are doing their normal shopping. Um, grocery sales are up. Uh, uh, I, I saw, are um, more. 
I saw an article and they they showed like some of the big retailers like Target and uh, well even like Amazon and and um, Walmart and like there's you know they're up you know 100 200 percent and you know yeah revenue is way up and obviously they're doing very well um, you know they're doing in the companies that have adapted really quickly for curbside pickup or delivery has done remarkably well. It's the industries uh, like that's like the service sector that are really hurting right now. You yeah. know, the restaurants are hurting. And, um, but, but at the same time, uh, the good restaurants who have adapted are doing really well. Like in my area, we have this favorite Thai restaurant that we go to. They're slammed every week because we usually order from them once a week. Oh, sure. And yep. yeah, you know, like last Friday, they said the wait is an hour and a half to pick wow. up. Okay. That's yeah, cool. they're slammed. Well, but that, at the same time, there are and, lots you know, of, you know, people need to do that. They need to, you know, support their local restaurants, especially, you know, exactly. I think, you know, obviously the chain restaurants have sort of a little advantage in the fact that they, they probably have programs and they can disseminate those and, and maybe move a little yeah. quicker where some of the, the smaller and restaurants. And they have the money too. Yep. To yeah. The smaller restaurants have to, set up these... you know, bootstrap it to make it work. So I think it's, it's all the more exactly. important to support our, our local local restaurants and in business. Yeah. One of my best friends. Yeah, one of my best friends is head of the restaurant industry here in Wisconsin. And so she's um had a very rough year, obviously, and uh yeah worked hard, but it's it's still been a challenge for them for sure. Oh yeah. So the service industry is definitely hurting. Um the structure, you know, like residential industry as you know is doing so well. Um and I mean, this is not what we saw in the spring month. You know, if you had asked me, I mean, I'm sure Rob told you the same thing. Almost 20% decline we were forecasting for single family back in April. Yes. And now we are, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, the forecast is up over 10% for wow. 2020. Yeah, I, uh, you know, and I just looked at our numbers this year. And, you know, when the pandemic hit, I was considering like, okay, let's build our company for the rest of the year that we're not going to sell another house. Cause I wasn't sure mm-hmm. with all the shutdowns coming and, you know, we, we downsized and then um, our lockdown got lifted here in Wisconsin um, part way in. And um, it was like a fire hose turned on and all of a sudden properties just started moving. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just ran our numbers for this year. We still have, you know, a little bit of time yet, but uh our sales dollars are up 8% from the previous year. And, and, and wow. we had basically a whole quarter of the year where we had nothing happen because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful. We were still open, but, you know, everything was being done virtually and, you know, we're doing virtual open houses and virtual this and virtual that. And, um, you know, it didn't seem like it was working at the time, but obviously when, when people felt comfortable that they could leave their homes and uh, it, you know, I think there obviously the psychology of having a home and being safe at home. And uh, I postulated early on when this happened on this podcast that, you know, housing was going to actually do okay. And it, it was a good investment to make to be into housing, but I probably under undersold that a little <laughs> bit because it, it ended up being even greater than what I anticipated. And I'm sure you've seen that in the data as well. Yeah. I think the, the meaning of owning a house has like a renewed interest this year, simply because you know some people were like just. And at the same time, you know we have the demographic advantage too, as the millennials, the oldest millennials turned thirty nine this year, 
And, you know, they have been delaying buying their first homes. But if they were planning on buying a home in the next few years, like I, I think right now the the mortgage rate, you can't beat that yeah, the mortgage it's, rate. It's a huge driver <laughs> for so anyone. Low. Yeah, so low. I mean, it's kind of funny. I bought, we bought a house last year and I thought, you know, under 4% was an awesome rate <laughs> last fall. And I, you know, it's crazy. Like a year later, I refinanced again <laughs> to like 2.9. Yeah, because around I three. That's like, crazy. Yeah, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to let this go. <laughs> yeah. And, so, you know, I think we had predicted, you know, last year that, you know, rates would be, you know, in the mid fours, they go up to four and a half percent, something like that. But obviously nobody yeah. could predict this pandemic coming. And, and so it's created, you know, a great opportunity for people. Um, one, one thing uh, I was talking actually to another economist, and this is kind of off, off the, the, the chart a little bit, but, you know, one of the thoughts was that because the rates are so low now and lower than maybe expected that are we, are we buying our customers now at the expense of in the future? Or do you think this is, you know, housing is going to continue to stay strong for a while? So right now, when we look at the new home sale numbers, um, most of the houses that are being sold have not even been started. Sure. Like, you know, they're not even completed yet. So I think the sales are outpacing the start. So we do think that the, the building is happening, going to happen, but the sales numbers might actually um, cool off, uh, cool down um, next year. But the building, like right now, I think the October numbers came up. There's completed reduced occupy homes and only 44,000 homes are available across the country. Did but, you say 44,000? Yes. That's it. What, what is a normal number? That's it. Yeah. So, but the sales were almost under a million. Wow. So 999,000 seasonally adjusted annual rate was the sales number for October. Wow. So, you know, compared to a year ago, it's up like over 40%. Wow. So, so uh, yeah. So, we are, what's a normal inventory number, though? If you said that normally, or right now it's at around 44,000 homes in inventory, what's. Yeah. What, like a year ago, or what's a normal number? Like a normal, like a year ago, it was like over six months supply we had. Okay. So right now it's down to like three, little over three months supply. Wow. That's it. That's crazy. So, and, and we're seeing that as well. So, you know, as we came out of the pandemic, that's what people bought was the homes that were already ready and done. And so mm -hmm. we're looking now at our inventory and like, this is the least amount of finished inventory we've ever had. And um, mm -hmm. I mean, from a cash standpoint, it's good because we we're cashing out of these and we're starting to to build new ones to replace the ones. But I my problem is I have I have six customers that are contracted that I haven't started their houses yet because we're we're going through permits and there's of course a lag. Mm -hmm. So you know, next year we're going to be really busy and there's like an it's like drinking water from a straw and there's sort of an air bubble going through the straw right now. And um, so my production and the, the trades are feeling it, but um, you know, we're busy as heck and we're like, buckle up guys, you're going to be really busy in about two months from now. And you're going to be busy. Mm -hmm. You know, we have enough work for all of you for probably you know, the first six to seven months of the year. And uh, you know, that's not counting anything else we sell between now and then. So uh, yeah, you're yeah. Be very, very busy next year. So get ready to get back to work and um yeah, I think that's exactly what we're anticipating too. 
Uh, same thing, you know, we think that the, the supply side uh, constraints, the lack of labor is going to be, a, you know, issue simply because builders have projects. The lumber prices, I'm sure you're well aware. Um, prices yeah, that's been a big challenge. Be- Let's talk about that briefly. Yeah. So we were, what, at $900 plus per thousand board feet in October. Yeah. You know, we we're at 400 something in um, the beginning of the year. Where, where are we at right now with it? I, I haven't checked recently. So it's like at 550 okay. right now. I think so the last okay. I checked was probably two weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's at like 550. It's more tolerable, but it's still high. I, I think it should probably go down a little bit because last week the, the tariff numbers were slashed. So the yes, I saw um, that. Canadian lumber, yeah. So from 20%, it's down to 90% now. That's fantastic. So I think that should help as well. Now, is that a temporary cut or is that, um, uh, are they going to keep that for the foreseeable future? I think as far as I understand, um, the Commerce Department, it, it, it's for the foreseeable future. Oh, that's great. Well, that that bodes well uh, for our industry and and obviously the tariffs have been um, been hard on our industry, not only the Canadian lumber, but then uh, obviously the Chinese tariffs that we had a couple of years ago, uh, that's mm-hmm. greatly pushed up our prices. So anything to get those material costs down, that's, that's going to make a huge difference to, to homeowners and, and uh, uh, you know, any, any little bit helps because a couple thousand dollars takes out a lot of buyers out of the market. Oh yeah. Because uh, I think when the, in September, when the, prices were so high at like 950 it was adding about six thousand dollars more for a single family home absolutely yeah and that's that's granite countertops in the kitchen or a really nice upgrade uh you know it could be your appliances for your whole home and yeah you know that's that's a lot of of buying power that's taken away when when those prices are that high and and of course we as pass those costs on and um you know, we don't like to do that when things are kind of, you know, unsteady as they are, but you have to, you have to do that. That's, that's your hard cost. Yeah. I mean, the ripple effect is the fact that, you know, it's the entry level houses gets more expensive and that prices out the first time home buyers who needs that entry level uh, yeah. housing stock. And that's an area that I think is really underserved in our industry is the first time home buyers. And in my market, especially, we just don't have the zoning and the lots and things to accommodate um, first-time home buyers. Most of the people that buy a new home are ending up, you know, being a second or third-time home buyer. Um, the the first-time home buyers in my market have to buy, you know, those existing homes that were built in the '50s, and um, you know, because we can't even touch that price point. It's well yeah. over hundred thousand dollars off. Happy clients, more profits, less stress. That's a trifecta of the construction business. We all want that, right? Well, after working and talking with hundreds of home builders and remodelers over the past two years, BuildBook has discovered the one common ingredient that determines the success of your construction business, the client experience. And we're not talking about just during a project. A client's experience goes from their first impression to their final payment and everything in between. And if you drop the ball anywhere in that journey, things can get super messy, super quick. BuildBook has developed the first-of-its-kind platform that focuses on helping you deliver throughout the client journey, the one thing standing between you 
and achieving the trifecta of construction. It starts with marketing tools to attract the right leads. Add in sales tools so you can win the best projects and finish with project tools that knock your client's socks off. Marketing, sales, and project tools all rolled into one simple yet powerful platform designed to give you and your business an unfair advantage. If you're looking for happier clients, more profits, and less stress, head on over to buildbook.co now and try it for free yourself. That's buildbook.co. And if you let them know you heard about them on the Home Building Hero podcast, they'll send you a free swag pack. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I completely see that. You know, I live right out of DC in Maryland. And there is is no new construction that I could look at. Like, we're looking at some new townhouses. The prices were almost at over 500. It's starting at. Five hundred thousand. Sure. Yeah, and your market obviously is even higher for starting prices. And I was like, "There's no way, you know, to even think about it. If I, you know, I would be able to buy a single family detached home with a yard and everything for the same price." So it it was such a tough time, you know, finding a house, and it's still a tough time because uh, the area, the the land constraints, um, the lot. Uh, you know, we have a short supply of lots. Yes. So it's it's a yeah. I mean, urban areas have this issue across the country. I think. Yeah, and so let's uh, that's you segued perfectly into the next question. So um, <laughs> suburban shift is something that uh, people have been talking about. That people are moving out of the urban areas um, and kind of going out into the suburbs. Um, have you got some data to back that up? And do you see that continuing for a while? Yeah, I yeah, we're definitely seeing it. I think the COVID nineteen has accelerated the whole telecommuting, and um, you know it's providing people with more flexibility to live further out. If you need to only go into work, you know, in a year, like once or twice, why not live, you know, forty miles out, right? Because it's not a big deal anymore as it used to be. So we do see. So we have a. Uh, index that we put together called the Home Building Geography Index. We look at data at the permit permit data at the county level. So we are seeing that you know the suburbs um, of the medium-sized cities actually gained the uh, the highest single-family um, permit gains. So uh, for the last you know if you look at the growth over the last four quarters, it's up 15 percent. Wow. And uh, yeah, and the worst performing areas are the large metro urban areas. So, and the same thing that's for single family and the same thing is observed in the multifamily as well, where the large metro areas um, are posting a 4% decline. And then, you know, the, uh, the, um, the multifamily construction outside of the urban areas are actually doing pretty well. Okay. So, so you know, obviously you were seeing that in the data that people are doing that. And, and what are you attributing it to? Is it, is it kind of a combination of the COVID um, and the, um, you know, obviously we've had some violence in the bigger cities. Um, and then we've also had, um, you know, people maybe not needing to commute. Is it, is it kind of a combination of all the three of those things you think? I think it's mainly because of the pandemic. Okay. The, and I think even the people who are living in urban areas, if they, you know, this pandemic has made it like they need more space, 
um, for like a home office or a home gym or sure. a yard for the children. I think, you know, that urban cities, urban housing might not offer all those, uh, you know, flexibility to add on all that. So I think even that people got uh, moved to the suburbs. But I think eventually, post-COVID, right, vaccine is here, people have taken the vaccine and we have sort of an herd immunity, I think people will come back to sure. the urban areas. The, you know, the urban areas are not dead at all. Correct. Um, yeah. And, and I, mean, I think there'll probably be some good opportunities. Maybe pricing will decline a little bit and there'll be some good buys for people. And um, I yeah. think one of the other things um, that has affected this is, you know, if you, you live in an urban area like that, you know, you probably chose to live there for a reason. Maybe it's the conveniences of having all these restaurants and these things yes. to do. And now those things are gone. So I think a lot of people are like, well, if this was the whole reason I moved down there and I'm going to move further out, but when those things come back, I would think so will the people. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're absolutely right in that because we were thinking a couple of, you know, even last year that the townhouses that built in walkable cities like where you can walk to restaurants and, you know, that was a great, like a bridge between rentership and home ownership, right? Living in these urban city centers that you can do your shopping, go to work and, you know, take the train, you know, it's all there. You don't even need a car anymore. But I think it will come back for sure. You know, the when the Gen Zs and they come of age and they're working and like, you know, in a few years, absolutely those areas will come back. It's just right now, it's kind of harder to live in those areas where you can't go to the movies. You can't really, there's no restaurants around that sure, you can actually yeah. sit outside and eat, right? Yeah, it's hard so, to kind of be in a smaller, you know, apartment or little condo like that. And then, you know, I don't think yeah. you're going to be necessarily doing Zoom meetings all day from your closet, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. For sure. No, so it's definitely harder. <laughs> okay, that makes a lot of sense. So let's just shift gears briefly. Um, one of the things that, you know, I, I really talk a lot about, I'm passionate about is, is housing affordability. And, you know, it's been a crisis really, uh, especially for our younger buyers that can't afford these new homes. And, um, mm. you know, we talked briefly and you kind of highlighted that, but I want to dive a little deeper into it. What do you think are the major issues? What, what's making housing um, unaffordable right now for people? What are the, the big factors? I think it's the um, imbalance of supply and demand. The supply shortage, the houses, and then Spoken the demand. Spoken by a true economist, houses. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that has pushed up the prices. Sure. So we um, at NHB, we do the housing um, opportunity index. We capture the affordability by that. So it's down for the third quarter at 58. So 58 means across the country, only 58% of new and existing homes are affordable to a typical family. Wow. So the median income is around $73,000. And this also captures the, the national median home prices. So it jumped to $313,000 from $300,000 in the previous quarter. Wow. So the prices are going up and the supply is not matching up with the demand. So affordability is down. And also, you know, um, the low interest rates, I think it's driving people to go 
beat up on the prices too for houses. So sure, yeah, because they can afford more. Yeah, and and I know I talked I talked to a lot of realtors and they you know are like, hey, build more houses, and it's like I'd love to, but I can't. (laughs) Yeah, why can't you? And then I I kind of talk, and it's kind of this thing that happens. It's like this game we play, but you know I have my reasons too. It's you know obviously I have so much labor. And I, you know, yeah. I, I could maybe go out and hire some different contractors, but I don't know that I want to necessarily start experimenting on the homes yeah. that I'm selling to my homeowners. Uh, we have, so that we have the labor issue, obviously land um, in my area, we've permitted way less homes than we ever have, you know, in the uh, back before the recession, we would uh, create like 6,000 lots in a seven county area. Now we're creating less than a thousand. And uh, wow. we're still permitting like 4,000 homes. So, you know, but we're only creating a thousand lots. So at some point we're going to run out of dirt uh, to build on yeah. if we don't, don't start to do that. So we have that. And then obviously we have, like we talked about the lumber uh, and those pricing mm-hmm. um, issues as well. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, governors on our, our speed here that are holding us down and uh, why, yeah. why we can't do more. So um I mean, what, what what are your thoughts as from an economic standpoint? What what could the industry as a whole do to to drive down the cost uh, of homes and, and keep them more affordable? I mean, we need to figure out how to drive the cost and the availability of building materials. That's a huge component of um, why the prices of the houses keep rising. Uh, and you know, it's like you you touched on lumber. Uh, we touched on the labor issues. You know, labor issue is a persisting issue. Um, like in April, we lost about 450,000 construction workers, wow. but we gained most of it back already. Okay, that's good to hear. And yep. yeah, it's good. To hear. And even right now, there is around 230,000 open jobs in construction. So this includes residential and non-residential, of course. But, you know, we need more young people in the industries, in the trade schools. Um, you know, when the Great Recession happened, a lot of people just left, the, a lot of workers left the labor force for good, right? And there's an aging labor force because young people are not coming into the construction trades. Um, also, we need to encourage more women to be in the trades here. Only 9% of the um, construction workers are not, uh, women. When, you know, women almost, makes up almost half the entire labor force. Absolutely. You know, that makes a lot of sense. So these are, yeah, so these are the issues that I think have dragged down, I think drag, being a drag on the skilled labor. And we need to figure out how to encourage young people, more women to come into the trade schools. And, um, you know. And, and those of you in the service industry that are at home and not working, you know, now is a great time to pick up that new skill. Exactly. And, um, get into a. Yeah, I always mention that in my presentations too. I said, if you know people who are looking for work, like join the trade because this is a great industry to be in. Um, and lot availability is an issue for sure. You know, sure. the lot sites are going down, the lot prices are going up, um, regulatory costs up almost 29% in the last five years. Wow. You know, if you look at a um, single family home, the average cost of a regulated co- fees make up around a quarter of the entire house cost. And that's for a single family. And for a multifamily, it almost is around 32% is because of regulated fees. So we need to figure out how to bring these 
uh, costs down, you know, the fees down. It's a huge burden. So, yeah, if we figure all these stuff out, maybe we can <laughs> sure. do more entry-level housing. Yeah, and yeah, that's everything you said is very true. And, you know, you have the data behind it, which, you know, we've been seeing it. And it's hard for customers sometimes to understand as well, because they're like, you know, why why is this new home cost so much more than this existing home? But those existing yeah. homes are, are, that's why there's multiple bids and they're, they're selling, you know, for higher prices. And uh, yeah. it's just because that's, that's the only place. And um, I guess kind of like another economic trend that I'm kind of curious about is, you know, I think a lot of the baby boomers too have, have maybe not moved or postponed. Yes. And because and normally, you know, you have your big populations of the baby boomers and you have your millennials, the Gen Xers uh, are in the middle here, but the, I don't think the baby boomers are moving as quite, quite as frequently. And that's, that's the homes that the millennials should really be buying right now. Is that? Yeah, that's absolutely true. So that's actually limiting the inventory in the existing home sales because we're expecting baby boomers to follow <laughs> the previous generation and downsize or move to like the awesome city centers where they sure. can experience more culture and entertainment um, but they are not moving right now so they are holding up essentially these all these housing stuff that could have gone to the millennials and gen z's and gen x's sure and we don't have that turnaround you know is it are they not moving because maybe it's going to be expensive to get into something else and they're you know or they're just not there's just not enough inventory for them to to make the move or that the home equity is really great right now too i mean the house prices are going up sure the, you know if they hold on to it a little bit longer that the price appreciation can help them with their you know um home equity but at the same time i think this pandemic had made it difficult for them to move as well sure because they need to go and look essentially shop for a new house right um that has made it a challenge um so the second, like, you know, downsizing also, it's a challenge because they also have same face of same issues looking for inventory. So I think that's another yeah, that thing. And sense. also, yeah, and then maybe if they have uh, college kids or, you know, people who work in the uh, city cities have probably gone back home sure. to be with their parents. Yeah. Yeah. They that makes need sense. The bigger yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because people are doing college online classes to working from home if they need it. Or, or they're still working. Right. Or they're still working. Exactly. And now that spare bedroom is now their office, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So if you're working, exactly. So they probably need the space as well. So everybody's living in, you know, big houses. They need their space. So yeah. Yeah. And uh, I know uh, Rob had mentioned this uh, when we had talked the last time, and I'm assuming that this is probably continued, but he's expecting that like new homes are going to continue to increase in size uh, versus, uh, you know, the thought was they were going to go down for affordability, but now that everybody needs these extra spaces or maybe a workout room or maybe a theater room mm -hmm. in the basement or a home office that the homes are are going up in size. Have you, have you seen any more data that's, uh, you know, kind of... Uh, so uh, we do the that. home buyer preferences service. Now more people are saying they want home offices, they want home gyms. So that adds square footage. And of course, 
you know, um, more rec spaces, essentially for the children to, um, to be in school and like, you know, and play and all that stuff. So yeah, I think on the buyer preference side, we do see that people are wanting more space. Okay. So it will be a matter to see if the builders can accommodate, you know, all, I know so many people went and bought Peloton bikes and stuff. And they were having issues figuring out where square footage. <laughs> where are you going to fit it? You yeah. Know, three yeah. feet by three feet. Where do you put the bike now? Well, we've seen a big jump in people wanting us to come back and remodel and finish their basements too. So we've sold a couple mm-hmm. of them just in the last week. And I think we have five more uh, out there for pricing. And, uh, you know, they're all probably going to happen. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that we're seeing. And it's, uh, you know. Probably- oh, Yeah. I mean, it's such an interesting uh, reflection. I'm, I'm personally, I'm, you know, when we bought the house last year, I was working from the office majority of the time. I was hardly working from home. So I was like, perfect. We only need like, you know, just set the amount of rooms. Now I'm like, oh, I wish we went for a bigger house because I now need a dedicated office space sure. and I don't have to be. Time know? to move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's okay. like, it's such a crazy time. I know so many people. I mean, I'm sure you do too. Like, oh, wow, I wish we had a bigger house then. <laughs> uh, you know, it's such a universe. Like, everybody yeah, is facing the same. The big, you know, issues, obviously, I think. A, a big shift like this with the pandemic has just changed everybody's perspective overnight, just like it did. Yeah. Um, you know, September 11th, it changes people's perspectives of travel and, 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 and being at home and things like that as well. So uh, kind of last question is just kind of, uh, uh, since you're a forecaster, uh, forecast 2021 for me. What, a, what do you think is going to uh, be in store for us for housing? How do you think it's going to perform? Uh, uh, where do you think mm-hmm. we're going to end up? So you are in luck because we just ran the forecast yesterday. Oh, <laughs> fresh data. I love it. Very fresh data. So just to give you a perspective, 2020, we think that year over year will be up around 11% to 989,000 single family units. And 2021, another 5% increase, almost 5% increase to a million units. Wow. And yeah, 2022 is about 1.1 million. So this is great. Like, um, you know, it's like remarkable. Like, single family housing has been incredibly resilient and I think we will get to a million units um, next year. Wow. That's good news for you. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) And, you know, we just have to figure out a way to get people um, into the industry and uh, keep making those lots and uh, meeting the demand, right? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. As long as, you know, builders are able to keep up with the project, I think that the there's not going to be any shortage of demand for housing. Housing is going to, you know, it's going to be priority for a lot of people. And it's just a matter of if we as an industry try to figure out how do we fix the headwinds for housing, like in the supply side issues. Sure. That would be the challenge. It's going to be continued work and uh, good work that we need to keep doing. And I appreciate uh, Danushka and all your, your, um, insight on not only the economics behind it, but, uh, you know, some of the, uh, the factors that we need to work on as an industry so that we can keep meeting the demand for, for housing. And, uh, um, if someone wants to get a hold of you or has, uh, more in-depth questions, how would they get a hold of you? 
that would be my email address would be the perfect way. It's up on the website as well. Um, but it's uh, long, D-N-A-N-A-Y-A-K-K-A-R-A at N-A-H-B.org. So that would be the best way to get hold of me. Perfect. And I will put that in our show notes as well. So that way, if somebody wants to send you an email, they'll be able to find the link there right in the show notes. So once again, thank awesome. you, Danushka, uh, for coming on the Home Building Hero today. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure you share it and also hit that subscribe button so you don't miss future content. And if you haven't already, you can also send me an email if you have questions directly for me at homebuildinghero at yahoo.com. And uh, once again, I am David Bellman, president of Bellman Homes. Thank you so much for tuning into the Home Building Hero today, and we'll talk to you very soon.